Yeah. It can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans Hey everybody, welcome to the show Community Spread. I'm your host Kevin Lundell. And we have a special announcement that is coming for you for Martin Luther King Day that's coming up next week. So we're going to have a special podcast. I just got the opportunity to meet a local artist by the name of Winter the Poet, and she is awesome. And she is going to read a letter from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was in Birmingham jail. It's going to be super great for us to be able to have a moment to meditate on Dr. King's words being read to us by a local black artist. She's then also going to share some of her original poetry, a a piece titled, When We Say Black Lives Matter. So I am really excited about this episode. You'll want to tune in on Monday. We'll make sure that podcast drops to you. On the pod today, we have my friend Brock Abel. And Brock has a really unique and interesting story and life experience to share with us. Brock was in a mixed orientation marriage. He knew that he was gay at a young age, but uh, had kind of convinced himself because of culture and uh, faith and different things that he maybe could be married to a woman. And he gets to share that experience with us. And finally, at the age of 29, being able to come out almost a second time to his family and to start living his life as who he is. So I'm looking forward to you being able to hear and learn from his experience. I find it interesting that Brock is our first uh, person who's come on to talk specifically about LGBT issues. Um, and Because I really got into some of this advocacy work because I had personal experiences with friends who were gay and helped me to step outside of my own learned experience. It's really the first community that I felt a connection to that I could advocate for, uh, that was someone outside of who I was and and my own experience, but that I felt a connection to and felt that I needed to advocate for. And I've spent a lot of time uh, advocating for the LGBTQ community uh, when I was involved in the LDS church and and, uh, trying just in in my own faith community at the time. And I I feel like made made some progresses within there. We have done LGBTQ fundraisers at RC Fit, uh, the gym that that we own. And that was a a little bit of a nerve-wracking experience too, to be at your business and in a kind of a conservative neighborhood and putting forth such a progressive fundraising effort. But our community showed up so big for that event. It was still to this day, one of the favorite things that we've done at RC Fit. So I'm happy to have Brock on again so that we can have this opportunity to once again, dive back into LGBTQ issues. Brock early on in this conversation talks about how when he first learned that he was gay, how his instincts were that he was either going to make a plan to run away or to kill himself. And too many of our LGBTQ youth feel that those are their only options when they learn that they're gay. That is not okay. It is our culture that makes them feel that way. There's nothing inherent about being gay that gives you that that feeling. It is only because of the culture. I feel like we've made 
dramatic improvements in the last decade uh, surrounding this issue, but we have so much more room to grow. And hearing and experiencing people's stories like Brock's allows us to do that. So with that, now you'll get to hear our conversation with Brock Abel. Look how far we all came, we made it to this land surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a bride. Spread the word, let it be known the heaven set to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. Well, hey, Brock, it's great to have you on the pod. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, my name is Brock. I'm 29 years old. And, you know, I think we look back at 2020 and it was a terrible year for a lot of us. We saw a lot of terrible things in the world. We saw a pandemic, we saw riots. And somehow we're going to talk tonight about why, but 2020 is probably one of the best years that I've lived. And, um, yeah, I think we'll get into that a little bit here tonight. But uh, for the first time in 29 years, I accepted myself as a gay man. And it's been pretty cool. Wow, Brock, that makes me so happy. I like, and you know what? I, so you, uh, Brock has been a patient of mine. Uh, again, another HIPAA violation on the pod, but uh, hopefully it's okay. <laughs> Brock, I got your consent. Go for it, man. Oh, um, but um, he's been a patient of mine and, and it's for probably about a year or so. And you know, I have actually seen that sort of happiness change in you. Like I actually got to witness it and I got to see it actually before I knew that you were gay and that you had, uh, had, had come out and started dating men. And, uh, but, I, but I knew something was happening and I could actually see right. it. Again. You know, you're not the only one that said that. I think it's pretty obvious, uh, just kind of the change that, that comes in my demeanor and, in who I am as a person. So yeah, I mean, it, it feels good to hear you say that, but certainly it's it's been a journey. It's been really cool. Well, let's get into it. Uh, you know, I know this is a question that uh, is not a straightforward answer all the time. And that, uh, and it's the question of, when did you know you were gay? I'm just gonna ask it. And you're gonna, yeah. ask, and you can, knowing full well that it's not, there's not necessarily a, a time or a moment or a place uh, where that happened. You know, you're right. It is hard to say, but I was young. I think I knew for sure around 10 years of age, but maybe even sooner than that. And I think the reason it's such a hard question to answer is you don't know at that age how to even define it or deal with it. And so you kind of just avoid it when you're younger. But certainly by probably about 10 years of age, I knew something was going on. I knew I was a little bit different. So you're 10 years old. And you, you know that, hey, maybe that boy's cuter over there than, than that girl in that way. What were your thoughts? What did you feel at that time about that? Could you, were you old enough to come to put that in a compartment? You know, I think slowly over time, I became able to recognize it, maybe able to compartmentalize that a little bit. I don't think I really defined it as oh, he's cute, or oh, I think I'm gay, until maybe sometime in like junior high school. Uh, so I think I lived with it for a few years, just kind of hiding it and putting it away and not even addressing it at all, because you don't know how to deal with it when you're young like that. But, uh, you know, about junior high, I'm recognizing like, uh-oh, he's cute and she's not kind of a thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so uh, what, uh, when when that happened, when you kind of that's probably the moment you came out to yourself. What what did that feel like? So you know, I don't even think that's the moment I came out to myself because <laughs> I think you still deny and hide it, and we'll sure, talk about sure. that. Absolutely. But I I hated myself. There was a lot of hate, and I mean, you know, part of this, but 
I, I made a couple of plans at that time. And, and the first one, the first idea is at some point, I'm just going to kill myself. And it wasn't like I was immediately suicidal, like I was going to, you know, immediately go do something or harm myself. I never felt like that, but I didn't want to have to face it and live with it. So I just thought, you know, when I get old enough to figure this out, I'll just take my own life. But I'm a little bit of a realist. I'm even smart enough at this age. I can't take my own band-aids off. So, you know, if killing myself doesn't work out, if I can't figure that out, then I'll move away for college. I'll never see my family. Maybe I'll come home on Christmas once a year or something. And then I'll never have to address this issue. I'll just go live alone and be single and I'll never deal with any of this. And that was kind of plan number two. But both of those are kind of scary plans when you're what, maybe 12 or 13 years old. Yeah, that's really, really heavy stuff. And, you know, like, what, what do you think was driving that sort of deep, deep shame where you say, ultimately, my two plans are either to kill myself or to just move away and, and not be by anyone that knows me deeply right. in that way? You know, there's a couple of driving factors there. And I think the first is very general in our society. We see that being gay is synonymous with lesser. And certainly at, at the time that I was growing up, it, it's changed now. You know, again, I'm 29. So times have progressed and things have gotten better. But, you know, kids make jokes in junior high and, and you start to feel self-conscious about yourself. And, and the society norm is built for a man and a woman. So two men, that, that's almost embarrassing, right? The other part of it, and it's part that I'm cautious in how I talk about, because I, you'll remember originally I said to you, Kevin, I'm not going to touch on religion. I don't want to do that. But then as I started to prepare for this and think, well, what are we going to talk about on this podcast and what do I really want to accomplish? I recognize it's impossible for me to really tell this story and address that question without at least mentioning the role that religion played in those feelings. Um, so I grew up as a member of the LDS church and, you know, I, again, I'm cautious in how I address this. Uh, you know, I'm not here to tear down the beliefs of others. People that know me recognize that's not my character, but as you're growing up as a member of the church, uh, entering into a gay relationship is going to be a sin. And for me, I remember consciously thinking that, you know, God, I've got faithful parents that have raised faithful kids. My siblings are all quite a bit older than I am. They're married in the temple. Uh, at this point, I've got a couple nieces and nephews, and I'm thinking I'm going to be the missing link that ruins my family. We're not going to be together in the afterlife, which is consistent with the teachings of that church. We're not going to be together there because I'm the one that's going to ruin this. You're kind of carrying that weight, and your options are either sin you can have a gay relationship, you can have a family even, those things that, you know, when you're that age, you kind of picture a future having that. But if you do that, I destroyed my own family. And so I could just live a life of celibacy. But again, at that age, you know, your mind's changing a little bit, and that's probably not going to be realistic. And so to me, the best option was just to kill myself at that time. And, and that's kind of what I thought my future might hold. Yeah, I think in, the, in an earlier podcast that I did with Rachel, we, we, we touched a little bit on this subject of, you know, she grew up in an LDS family as well. And I believe in that podcast I talked about, I said the words that, you know, I grew up in the, in the LDS church as well. And it was really the LGBTQ issue that 
started to move me away um, from the church. And as I, as I thought about it, I thought a lot about my kids and, and what, if I, had a, if I had a child who was gay, would I still be, you know, in the, in the church? And the answer was always no, I wouldn't be. And, and the reason why that is, is because I see, like you said, and I, that the church is actually a violent place for a gay youth. And I, and I don't mean to say that in a way that's like, that, I, that I'm trying to be hyperbolic. I say that in a way that like, you know, Brock, you felt like you needed to kill yourself. And many other youth felt that same thing. And there's nothing about being gay. We know there's nothing about being gay that makes a person have shame and doubt. It's, it is the culture and the society that we live in around that. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing to walk because I know we, you and I have family members that are in the church and that we love, but it's not, it's not a safe place. Were there, were there moments when you were in church hearing these, these teachings that you were reflecting on, on who you were and, and what that meant for you? You know, for sure there were times. I, I think you go through that phase where, and it's almost, it's almost cliche to say this, but you go through that phase where you think you can pray the gay away. And I thought, I'm going to fix myself. This is going to be okay. And, you know, I do remember sitting there and thinking that there's something wrong with me. I'm a pervert. I'm evil. Something's wrong. And those were hard things at that time. I, I'm cautious to say that I, I think that's going to be something that we see in a lot of religions. It's certainly not just the LDS church. 100%. And even absolutely. outside, right? And even outside of religion, I think we still hear and see things like that. We can talk about, you know, some of the other sources of discrimination, but regardless of where or how you're growing up, it's hard to grow up gay because you are seeing and hearing this discrimination and you're feeling like there's something wrong with you. I mean, there's a lot of things wrong with me. I no longer feel like being gay is one of them. Uh, awesome. You know, it's good, right? <laughs> so tell me, uh, wh when did you uh, come out to your family and friends? And, and uh, what, what was that experience like? That had to be really uh, scary. Story gets real fun because I've had to do it twice in my life. But the first time was during my senior year of high school. So it was actually almost 10 years ago to the day. I don't know the exact day, but it was January of 2010. And I had no intent of ever telling anyone at this point, but I've got a couple of girlfriends with me, hung out with mostly girls in high school. That should have been the uh, dead giveaway too, but <laughs> we- Everybody loves Everybody loves to have a gay friend. All the girls love to have a gay, oh, a gay friend. Girls love a gay friend. I, let me tell you what, like I, girls just love a gay friend. And I think they all think it's going to be different than it is. I'm like, I'm not exactly that gay. Like I'm still the gay <laughs> that they also call when their car has something wrong with it or like the heater <laughs> won't work at their house. You know, I'm still that guy too, but, but yeah, everyone loves a gay friend. But so one night, January, 2010, I'm a senior in high school. I just blurted out while driving my car with a couple of my friends and they're kind of like, yeah, we know, you know, no surprise, <laughs> but I had no intent of telling them that night. And I remember thinking after that, like, oh no, I have to start talking about this. I have to tell my family um, because I think was that, that your initial, was that your initial response was like, oh shit, or, or was it like a little bit of relief or what was your initial feeling when you did that? There was definitely an, oh shit. But then there's also that like, 
really kind of liberating feeling that for the first time you have told someone what's gone on in your life and it's something that I'd hid and pushed under a rug for so long that it was, I remember going home and laying in bed that night and feeling really good because I'm like, someone knows my issue. And these were people that I trusted and knew wouldn't blab about it. I knew they loved me no matter what. And suddenly I could talk about myself openly about around someone and like, I don't know. I mean, that it's an incredibly liberating experience to finally live your truth. Uh, but then the oh shit part of it, oh, that was real. Tell me about tell me about that, and and how did you face the oh shit moment? You know, I just I knew that I would have to tell my family, and again, this is where some of that religion comes in. Like, I didn't want to be a disappointment, and I was afraid that maybe they wouldn't love me the same. And I don't know why I thought that. I, I know my family and I, I am blessed with such a loving, caring family that that shouldn't have ever been a question in my mind, but it was. And so I started kind of telling family one at a time and I told siblings and then of my parents, I actually told them separately. I've got a really level-headed, calm dad. And I told my dad first, and even with the day I told him, I don't know that I totally intended on it. And it, the time felt right. And I told him, he actually told my mom and then we all talked about it. And there was, I think some, oh shit moments for everyone in the family too. I think, you know, it was shocking. And I think my siblings knew, but obviously my parents didn't know they hadn't caught on before I said anything. And it, it was hard for them. I know it was hard, but my family was super loving. This is not the same story that everyone has to tell. I'm lucky in this. But after that initial shock, they were actually very loving. And I kind of was like, this is great. I can finally be me. I, I don't have to live being someone else anymore. But I don't know that I had still totally accepted myself yet. So after that, did you did you start going on dates with guys? Did you, what, what, uh, what was, what was know, life like? I never did. Um, I didn't. And I don't know exactly why. I think I tried to have a lot of compassion for my parents in that time. And I knew that it was shocking and hard for them. And so it's like, I didn't want to come out of the closet and then immediately being out dating guys. And, you know, at the same time, I wasn't the kind of kid that was going to lie to my parents and be like, oh, I'm going to do this. And I'm really going on dates. And so I really never did. I kind of just hung out with friends and finished the senior year of high school out and kind of hope for the best in the future. And and now that you've had a chance to like look back at that, I don't know, like would would you have done it the same or, or would you have tiptoed quite as lightly? And, and I mean, it's hard, I guess it's hard to think about that. But to me, that's like, I don't know, you had this, this supporting family, but but you still, that that fear, that shame was still so great that like you weren't gonna about to go like bring a guy home, you know? Not then, no. You know, that's where the internalized homophobia is really deep. And, you know, that comes from the places we've talked. It comes from society. It comes from religion. It comes from jokes that kids cracked in junior high school. But you still don't totally want to accept yourself. And I think at that time, maybe I was projecting a little bit of my own shame on others. Yeah. It's a big thing. I, you know, I've, I've seen a therapist this past year that is like, critical. I think everyone needs to see a therapist, not just gay people, but especially gay people go see a therapist. <laughs> yeah. But that, you know, need for me to start looking at 
the hate that I still have for myself and the little bits of homophobia that I have for myself, I had to do that. Now, I didn't love myself until I addressed that. So back at that time, I don't know. The question that you asked me was what I tiptoe as lightly. And I still think I would. It was hard on my parents, I know. And I think for me, the biggest thing that I see that's hard is people want to drop this news and think that they're going to immediately be accepted. But I can understand how that's hard for parents. You know, you've got these plans for your child and you kind of think you know what their future is going to look like. And you drop this news on them and it does change everything. And kids can say, you know, we, we can say, well, I've always been that person. So this shouldn't be a surprise to you. But they didn't know that. And so in some ways, the best way I ever saw, and I read this years ago when I came out the first time, I read that it's kind of like a death for your parents because the kid that they thought they knew, maybe the future that they thought was planned for you or that you'd have, that kid's gone. And so whatever religious norms that they have, maybe that's, you know, for me, it was marrying a, a young lady in the LDS temple after serving a, mar- or a mission and um, you know, whoa, they whoa, 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 whoa. You just told a big part of the story. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's the plans that they have, right? Maybe that's what they see. And so, oh. so you, you, uh, you kind of shift their plans. And in some ways that person has died for them and they have to go through almost a phase of mourning before they really can accept this new you. And I know it's not a new you. It, it's the me I always was. But they still had to go through that and said, no, I don't think I would have tiptoed very lightly because, you know, I, I do respect and I, I think that having that level of compassion is how I got where I am today. And, and my family really just doesn't seem to care. It doesn't make a difference to them. But that does take that, us a little closer I to find the next that, step in the story. I find that really interesting, Brock. I really do. Because it's like, I don't know, it's like my personality is like, I just want to break shit and then put it back together later. <laughs> I'm I'm so like, no, Brock, opposite. you should have been you. You should have been out there. But that's just, it's just not the right way for every, everyone has to do it their way and, and, right. and with their family and their experience. And, you know, uh, and so I, I would have wanted to just break it down and then try to build it back later with my uh, boyfriend by my side. Uh, but right, <laughs> that's just right. not the way you, you wanted to do it or, or how it you felt was the right way for I you. Wanted to. Yeah, it wasn't the way that I could. And it's not the way I deal with anything. I'm, I'm kind of one of those like, you know, here's the idea. Let's talk through it. Let's figure it out. Let's all be positive. I, I'm just, I'm not like a confrontational activist type person. And so, you know, that, that is how I handled it. And it worked in my case. It won't work in all cases, but it worked in my case, I think. At what point did you, you decided to start dating women? Or a woman? You know, I, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I know that because I, I actually, I actually, when I, when I, I met your wife, I believe before I, your ex-wife, I should say now. You did. Before I actually ever met you. Is that, right, you Sarah? You did. Yep. You met my ex-wife, Sarah, before you met me. And so Sarah was actually one of my really close friends growing up and through high school. And she knew I was gay. Um, She's one of the first few people I came out to. And, you know, we had like a level of friendship where after high school, I'm kind of going through this thing where I've come out to my family and I don't really know where I am with that. I'm still a little uh, internalized homophobic. And so I'm a little lost. But she was kind of my best friend that I did everything with. 
And so you have like that semi-boyfriend, girlfriend thing that starts to just get built in because you're with her a lot. And then at some point, neither of us like made a decision to let this happen or anything, but it became a little bit more than a friendship. And I'm, you know, at this point, maybe like 19 years old, still not loving the fact that I'm gay. And I'm like, oh, perfect. This is great. I'm bisexual then. This is perfect. You know, I I can put the gay thing away forever and we're done. I'm bisexual and this is perfect. Keep going. You, uh, you, you, you guys, you guys start, you guys start dating. You, you decide to get married. We did eventually get married. So, you know, we started dating and I remember at the time having some guilt over it and being like, I don't know if this is right, but I can truly tell you, I, I absolutely did fall in love with her and I still love her. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we are divorced now. We'll get into that, but I absolutely love her. And she's still one of my very close friends. We talk, um, she'll listen to this podcast and hear me talking about her. But I remember thinking like, I don't know if this is right. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, but I do know I love her. And you kind of have these built-in expectations of like, what is my future going to look like? And as a gay man, it, you may not have children. You may not, you know, as easily have a family. There's kind of those fears that, that really aren't totally logical, but at a younger age, I'm looking at that and, well, God, I have this girl that I love spending time with. I do love her. You know, I got to know her family and everything else seems to be working. And at some point we started talking about getting married and about five years in, we got married. And again, I'm you like, know, I, I actually like totally get it because it's like, this is like your ticket. Like, is your, like your ticket to like a yeah. quote unquote, like normal, like normal life. Mormon life, right. Where yeah. normal, more yes. normal Mormon life where I can, you know, live like all my other Mormon brothers and sisters and have babies and get into super VIP Mormon heaven and everything will be right. And I am in, I, I, I do love this person. Now I will tell you, she, she was not a member of the church. So, so I mean, it wasn't, it was not, we weren't, I still wasn't going to Mormon heaven, but you know, from the outside, because you're right. I mean, I looked at what my siblings had and they all have, the house and the SUV and the picket fence and the kids. And it's like, that's what's built in to be normal for me. And I want normal life. I don't want this. I don't want to, I don't want to figure out how to date men. Like I'm just going to do this. And, and it, it, at the time there was a point where it did feel right. And, you know, I would never say that I, was kind of just like running back into the closet to not face those feelings that obviously happened and was part of it. But I mean, I absolutely do love and cherish the time that we did have together. Yeah, absolutely. You know, mixed orientation marriages are a thing, like uh, particularly within the LDS church and within other faiths uh, as well, because there's this tremendous pressure to uh, live that, that normal life. Tell us, like, what what was your relationship like? How how did you guys navigate that? And what was what was that? How many years were you married? So it was about four and a half years. And to be honest, it was surprisingly normal. Looking back now, I wasn't happy, but I never would have said those words during the time. And I didn't think that when we were married. I, I felt generally happy. And you know, aside from the traditional like 
she left coffee cups all over my house and never refilled the toilet paper. And she actually will now, she'll admit that that was all her, that like, I would be like, babe, there are 30 coffee cups all over this house. We have three bath, and there's toilet paper in none of the bathrooms. And she'd be like, no, that was you that ran that out. She actually, she does a podcast of her own and a couple of weeks ago, she did an episode and she talked about me and she said that uh, she now fully admits that the toilet paper running out, that was her because she lives on her own now. So there's only one person there to run that toilet paper out. I tell you what, I could walk into my bathroom right now and show you I have toilet paper. But Vindication but for so, you, that moment of when she uh, did that on the podcast. Sweet, sweet vindication. So amazing. So amazing. <laughs> I was driving and listening to it in my car and I'm like, oh, yes. So, but um, the relationship was surprisingly normal. And outside of those kind of normal, I think, couple pressures that any relationship has, I didn't feel like there was anything that wrong there. As the relationship kind of started to wind down and I knew what was going on and it's been over a year now since that happened, but um, the decision to get a divorce uh, surprisingly wasn't because I'm gay. Um, I actually didn't totally face these, these feelings and this, we're going to call it a problem because at the time I would have labeled it as a problem, but I didn't face that until after um, but we, we talked together, we came to the conclusion that we needed to separate. Um, there were, you know, initially some things that, um, that she had going on that it became a point that we needed to separate. And we decided together that it was going to be best and that, you know, we should do it now because we can still have a positive relationship and respect one another. And if we try to drag this any further, we're going to end up hating each other. And that's, that's, again, that's not me. I'm not a hateful, like, you know, accusatory person. And so it just, it wouldn't, she's not either. And it just wouldn't work. So, so we get a divorce um, or, or, you know, we, we start the, the works of getting a divorce and telling our family that that's going on. And that was a tough time. Like, did your family ever ask you like, Hey, so um, you're getting married to a woman, but you, a while back, you told us you were gay. Like, did they, did they have this conversation with you? Anybody, any of them? You know, I really honestly don't remember that conversation coming up. Um, I, I do know now they, they had a little bit amongst themselves, but I think it was like, well, he seems happy. So I don't know what else we do about it. Right. I mean, I obviously, and I, they had met her before we were ever dating and it was kind of like, Hey, by the way, guys, remember Sarah? Uh, Well, we're a thing now. So I think they just kind of rolled with it because that's kind of the family that I come from. I think they're like, you know what, if this is what he wants and he feels happy, then we'll love and support it. So they championed it and there we are. As as your relationship with Sarah's coming to an end, there was probably a point when you're like, I'm going to be single. Another oh shit moment. Yeah. <laughs> Another oh shit moment. Another oh shit moment. Describe that next oh shit moment. So... I mean, married life, you know, you kind of settle into this like ideal thing where like I go to work, I come home, we have dinner, I pour a glass of wine and we watch TV. Um, We have a home together, we have vehicles together, life's fine. And that oh shit moment comes when all of a sudden that all gets torn apart. And that comes for anyone that gets a divorce, right? You know, that there can be so many influences when you're getting a divorce of like, oh no, my life is going to just be totally blown up. 
But the one for me that kind of stuck and I knew I've got to address this is I'm knowing in the back of my mind, I'm gay. And so I'm going to be single and I obviously don't want to be alone forever. I mean, at this point, I'm 28 years old. I'm not going to be single forever, right? But to not be single forever, I have to like date and find someone again. And I don't feel like I can do that with a woman again. And if I did, if I did decide that's what I want to do, because I'm kind of still trying to own the bisexual label at this point. If I did decide that's what I wanted to do, I have to like tell someone, I have to like start building a relationship with someone and be like, oh, by the way, there's this thing about me you need to know, because I'm not going to lie about it. I wouldn't have ever do, I mean, Sarah always knew. I'm never going to like lie about it and enter a relationship that way. And I'm like, I don't want to face this. And so that's in the back of my mind, you know, to kind of add on to all the other stresses of getting a divorce and, and rebuilding your life. That's in the back of my mind. And it was scary. So, yeah, I, I can imagine it's scary to, again, you're like, you're going through this process again, like where you're starting to come out to yourself again and like, right. like, okay, well, I've never dated a man. I've never been intimate with a man. Like what, what is that going to be like? <laughs> Now I'm now I'm like old, right? Now everyone's figured it out, and I'm like, oh, I gotta figure this out. I don't oh. know what I'm doing. Like, it was it was horrifying, but you know. How, how did you, how did that, how did you work through that? What did you? What were your what oh, were your feelings um, and thoughts and and during that time? I honestly think I can thank my brother for being the guy that he is and just being open to me and probably really looking back, probably really receptive to knowing what I'm going through. But he was the first one that I went to and said, I think I'm going to get a divorce. And I actually, when we were going through this, I didn't want to talk about it with everyone because if we decided not to get a divorce, I didn't want, you know, like those talks to be part of the family for the rest of life. So I hid it for a long time. And when it kind of came to a head and it was like, okay, we've got to start talking about this. I went to my brother. That's the poor guy needs like a spa day on us or something. He's the family mediator. But I show up, I pick him up, we take a ride in my car. I kind of tell him what's going on. And pretty quickly, he brought up and he says, you know, he brought up me being or having come out of the closet years ago. And, you know, at this point, I don't think anyone knew what I was. I don't think I knew what I was. So it's hard to say being gay or being bisexual, whatever. But I remember him saying something along the lines of, listen, I don't know where you are with those feelings, but I don't want those to be something that influences your decision now. I need you to make this decision now and do what's going to be right for you and for Sarah Bull. Um, I think you need to do what's right for you now without worrying about that and know that when it's all over, if you get a divorce, we don't care who comes home with you next time. We love you no matter what. We'll love whoever you bring home, no matter if it's a man or a woman. And so I remember leaving his house that day and thinking like, again, it was kind of an oh shit moment, but it was like, okay, I've got to address this. And at least I know I've got someone, someone has my back, right? And I, I actually, I, I have connections to your family all over. I went to high school with you know Chris. Chris's um, wife. <clears throat> And so I actually know Chris. That's right. Yeah. And I know that like Chris is, Chris is a member of the church. And so while I said earlier that the, the teachings of the church are a violent place for gay youth, there are still members of the church like Chris that are like, dude, I don't right. care. And I want you to be happy. And I want this to be important for you. A guy and a person who was 
you know, really instrumental at this point in your life. Right. You know, I think that's where we can recognize that uh, the, the teachings of the church have changed and progressed a lot. It's a lot more woke than it was years ago. And whoa, I'm grateful whoa, to see that. Whoa, whoa, a, a, a lot true. more. It is true. Like it's a little bit better, but I wouldn't <laughs> call it woke, bro. Okay. <laughs> I just like that word. I just wanted a reason to use that word. I'm old, man. I, I sit in an office desk job all day. I got to find some way to use cool slang. But um, I, I think that's evidenced in how people treat it now. I mean, I, I've got family and really dear close friends and co-workers that are members of the church and honestly not one of them treats or acts me any differently because I'm gay and they all know it and you know I think that's evidence of a little bit of change there I also think that's just evidence of the the reduction of the stigmas that existed and some of the other discriminations that that have been not from religion have reduced and therefore you know, people are more accepting, but yeah, you're correct. Um, my brother was a super big influence in, in just making me feel like no matter what I came back with, you know, no matter who I come home with someday, he's not going to disown me. It's going to be okay. And again, I should never have doubted my family in that, but you know, in those times you don't want to be a disappointment. And so you do doubt it a little bit. And so you have this moment of, of calm a little bit, maybe, where you at least uh, know that uh, you have support. And how did you go about uh, starting to date men? You know, the, the first, so let's also bear in mind that the year is 2020. And so, you know, before I'm going to do that, like, we got to get the divorce finalized. And then I, I originally was going to keep my house and I decided, oh, I want to sell my house. I don't want to be here anymore. And um, so then I sell the house and Closing happens right at the onset of uh, the, the pandemic. Um, like I'm, my house is in boxes and they call us into a meeting at work and send us home to work at home. So the world is a really weird place, but a few months go by, I move in the middle of a pandemic and I'm like, I'm gonna try dating a little bit. I've like come out to a couple of friends at this point And you know, so I get on Tinder, a friend of my ex-wife recognizes me and actually has my number and texts me and is like, uh, did I just find you on Tinder? So, you know, that, that's kind of how I started. I, I dated him for a bit. Um, and that's how it started. It was, you know, I felt a little safe about that because we could do things that like, you know, you're trying to be safe during coronavirus. I, I don't want to be the one that's like, oh, well, I'm going to go and back half the world because I got to go on dates with these dudes, you know, like you try to be responsible, but. Oh man, this is so and, complicated for you right now. <laughs> it was a really weird year, but, but you know, from there, I, I just continued going on other dates and you being safe coronavirus wise, of course. I don't know why I feel like you disclose that, but yeah, like, no. you know, I, we get it. Just you're, keep you're trying, <laughs> you know, so, so you're going out with guys and not really any of them has it been that great with, but there was a point during this process where it kind of clicked and it's almost like a switch flipped where I'm like, I was lying to myself. I'm not bisexual. I never was. Um, this feels right. And I, I have to stop lying to myself 
And I, I truly believed it. For years, I'm like, no, I'm bisexual. I believed that lie. Like, I, I, it's the worst lie I've ever told. And I absolutely believed it myself. But, you know, that switch flips and you're sitting there and you're like, okay, I'm gay. This makes sense now. And from there, it was like, now I have family that I haven't addressed this with. So I kind of one by one knocked him out. And I'm I want to like, wait. I want to go back. I want to go back. What was like? Okay, okay. I just I, I want to know. Like, was it was there a was there something different about being being with a man that you just felt and you were like, oh, this yes, is what that absolutely. feels like. Like this is you know absolutely. It was totally that moment of like th- these are the feelings that you're supposed to have. And I don't know that I truly ever have had these feelings before. Um, and that's kind of sad to say, you know, after all that time that like, I never experienced that because I certainly experienced some feelings with my ex-wife, but it, it wasn't the same. And so, yeah, the, I think that's the moment where the switch flips and you're like, okay, this is what it's supposed to feel like. And this is what people are talking about when they you know, catch feelings for someone or they end up falling in love with someone or, you know, this is it. This is that feeling. And was that like a, was there, was there clarity with that? Was there relief with that? Was there angst with that? Or I probably all of the above, but. All of the above, but I actually think in that time that the anxiety went away enough where it was like, it was a clarity. Clarity is what it was because it was like, you've fought it for so long and I think this time around, like I'm an adult with a career and I, you know, I'm not living under my parents' roof and I'm not reliant on anyone. And so I'm not really scared of it that much at this point. Cause I'm like, okay, I have to accept myself. I've kind of started to get over that hate. And then exactly what you asked happens where it's like, this feels right. It's kind of a relief moment where you're like, I'm going to be okay. Like I'm going to figure this out. And people will either love me or not, but I'm I'm not going to go back to how it was because now that I've had this, you know, it would just be a very unhappy life. And so you said you had to go from there to like, okay, I got to, I got to come out again to more people. Like for the, <laughs> again, I got to keep doing so, this. <laughs> you know, I just kind of did the round of family and, and, you know, some friends that needed to know and, not once did anyone react negatively to me. And I think, you know, as you talk to my family about what I've experienced in that time, um, they will acknowledge that I'm happier and that I look better and that I, I act differently. I just recently, again, proponent of therapy, just recently with my therapist, I was talking about, um, how I noticed that my interactions with my siblings and with their children who like, their kids all mean the world to me. Um, you know, I, I love being an uncle. I don't really want kids of my own at this point in the game, but I got nine kind of kids and, and they, they mean everything. But my interactions with them are a lot more free. And I recognize that it's because I'm not trying to hide behind this wall of like, oh, I'm straight or, you know, I'm not gay. And it's interesting how all of a sudden when you're a genuine person, how your relationships with everyone around you improve. And people have been perceptive to that. People notice that and they say that. So I think that's helped me a little bit when I'm like, okay, well, I'm probably going to bring a man home next. It's like, well, you know, we can tell that you're happier. So we're not going to argue that. We're not going to try to fight that. 
Yeah. And, and like I said, I, I, I saw that change, you know, as you came out to your chiropractor, <laughs> <laughs> Happens. which is oh, it's weird yeah. because that's like something you like felt like you had to do because I knew your wife, like no, normally you wouldn't have to say I date men like to your chiropractor, oh, but you kind of were like, way, to... it's, it's, I don't remember what you said, but I was like, well, Kevin, I got one for you. <laughs> like, <laughs> let me tell you, I don't know. He does great chiropractic work, folks. You know, like I mean, it's very freeing. I, in there, I was starting so. to put pieces together. I think you're like, you're like rainbow Apple watch came on. I was like, try, I think I was trying yeah. to get it out of you at that point, maybe like. Yep. I remember. So, and it's funny because this happens like every year on Pride. You'll see articles about this. But I remember you said to me, you're like, someone stole the Pride flag off my house. And I'm like. What are you trying to get at, chiropractor Kevin? What are you trying to ask me about? Maybe that's what it was. And I'm like, oh, well. I was I'm probably dating, digging. Man, so, <laughs> yeah, you were digging. It's all right. You can dig. Here we are. Well, you know, Brock, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I think, you know, for one, your story is unique and, and everyone's story is unique. And, and that's kind of the point. And that, uh, you know, we need to, to uh, for me, what this podcast is about is is people being able to to step outside of their own learned experience and step into someone else's for just a moment and, and live with some of those those emotions that you talked about as and the feelings of a 10-year-old uh, you know starting to understand that he's gay and you not accepting yourself and and wondering what your future holds you know, as 10, 13, 14 year old kid. Being able to get outside of ourselves and, and stepping into that is what we're trying to accomplish here. And you've done that for us for this, you know, 40, 50 minute conversation. We've been able to like feel those experiences and, and learn from them. You know, I think that's my goal is just, I talked a lot about how, you know, I try to kind of lead change with compassion and I think it's just important to understand where other people are and then what other people's stories hold. And you really don't know what someone's going through, but my whole reason for wanting to come on and, and being willing, you know, when you suggested it, I'm like, I don't know, man, but my whole reason for being, you know, willing to do this is just the fact that I have a loving family and a workplace that's okay with this, you know, they're okay with me being gay. And so I almost feel like I'm obligated to speak out a little bit and, and tell this story because, you know, I want others out there to know that they're not, you know, you're not crazy and there's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, I, I kind of just want to be something that attributes to that normalization and people understanding that this is normal. This is okay. Is there anything you would like uh, someone to learn from, from your experience and, and what you've uh, been, been able to achieve really uh, going from, you know, that 10 year old that uh, had all of those, those mixed emotions to a happy gay 29 year old? You know, I think um, the biggest thing I can say is just be honest with yourself. Um, earlier you said, you know, I think you maybe came out to yourself at that point. And realistically, I don't think I fully came out to myself until this last year. And I think I was the hardest person I ever had to come out to and really accept. And, and so be honest with yourself and, you know, try to be very cautious in monitoring the feelings that you have. And, you know, as you start to come out to yourself, if you will, um, be loving of those feelings and, you know, try not to have self-hate. It's so easy to jump to the conclusions of like, you know, something's wrong with me, but be loving of yourself, be honest with yourself. And I think once you start doing that, others are likely to do the same. Well, Brock, I really appreciate you coming on. 
And there's no better place to end with that. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate being on tonight. And that's it for the pod today. Again, a big special thanks to Brock Abel for coming on the show and sharing that personal experience with us. We want to thank August the Great for our theme music and Decker Yazi for our artwork. I almost got it this week. Almost got our artwork. Again, Dan Martinez for our producer here on the back end does so much work. Thanks, Dan. And we will catch you next week on Martin Luther King Day when you will get to hear from our local artist, Winter the Poet. She's going to rock the house. See you, everybody. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez. 